This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Yeah, if I had to give you two, I'd say first and foremost, if you take care of your people, aka your employees, they will take care of your clients for you. So spend more time figuring out how you can be the best employer of fitness professionals than you do in generating leads and you won't have to think about the latter. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Pivotal Conversations. Do not move from your seat. Grab a pen, grab some paper and make sure you are not listening to this passively because this episode is full of golden nuggets, knowledge bombs, whatever you want to call it, you're going to get so much out of it. Um, and that's because the man that we, that myself and Reese interview uh, is someone who has so much experience when it comes to the fitness industry, has so much experience when it comes to business in the fitness industry, and there's just so much wisdom. Uh, and I think those of you who know who uh, I'm talking about and you've heard of this man before, this great man, he... He just, you know, he just makes so much sense, you know, uh, following his Instagram, his tweets, uh, everything he does, the, you know, listening to previous podcasts, he comes from a place where there's no no bullshit, there's no kind of tricks, no kind of magic dust, it's a lot of just, you know, principles that come from past experience. We are very glad to be joined on today's episode by Pete Dupuy, who's the co-founder of Cressy Sports and Performance, which is a... I would say a, a heavily niched um, facility out in the States, so the United States of America, the USA. Um, they are niched into sports development. Um, they heavily niched into baseball, but I'm not going to say they're exclusive to that because Pete said they do take on other um, you know, other athletes and, and other forms of, of clientele. But uh, you know they're they're just doing some absolutely amazing things. Um, an extremely successful facility um, that has you know bounced out of COVID, which Pete talks about um, in just to getting even better, which you wouldn't have thought was possible, especially for a facility that big who relies on people coming in. Um, but you know it, it is a great conversation because Pete, Pete talks about his journey. He talks about you know. Um, you know the 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 birth of Cressy Performance. He also talks about the the hardship and um, unknown that they went through uh, throughout COVID nineteen. How they got through it. You know, for some of you, you might be going through it now. Um, taking you know Pete's left of center view on this as well, which I think is is great to kind of thinking that you don't have to do everything. There's just a few things that you might have to do. But we also we're not we're not kind of exclusive to just the facility and for facility owners. This episode really does talk about the state of the fitness industry, the state of business in the fitness industry, um, which I think Pete, you know, um, more than more than most has uh, the right to kind of talk about. Um, as I said, he's had a lot of success and been in the industry for quite a while. So it's a great episode all around if you're wanting to grow a business, if you're wanting to understand business and you want to take some of the principles that you learned today and apply them, um, then go do it because um, you're just going to get a lot out of it. So I'm not going to keep you for too much longer, guys. Um, this Friday, we're announcing the winner of our first giveaway uh, for a spot in the Diploma of the Fitness Business. Now, 
for those of you who've been listening, all you have to do is uh, take a photo, a screenshot of the episode that you're listening to. Give us all a tag, Reese uh, Livingston, Kyle Trainer, and Pivotal Conversations, and uh, tell us a little bit about why, uh, what you've learned in this episode, one of your favorite bits, and um, basically that enters you into uh, the competition. And every, at the end of every month, we're going to. Well, the third, basically the middle of every month because that's when we started the competition we're going to be announcing the winner uh, so we'll definitely get in touch with you and announce it across the Pivotal Conversations podcast um, Instagram account hope you enjoy the episode guys um, as always make sure you hit the subscribe button if you do uh, and we'll see you on the other side we want to talk a conversation not essentially a going in a direction of like sick this is your expertise and we um you know from the outside looking in right Cressy sports is the it is the place for baseball it is the place for sports development um and i think a place that we want to or at least a, a good segue into conversation here is like how that's developed and how you've been able to build such a build such a solid brand and niche into a very specific area um sure you know, over the years of, of business and also how you've kind of, you know, escalated and, and evaluated your business whilst it has grown. Okay. One of the, so one of the big things for me as well, Pete, was the way we teach business and, and kind of talk about business is like, you, you've got an MBA background and a lot of what has driven me to actually want to be in this space is the fact that I think it's taught wrong in the industry 95% of the time in the fact that we're coming out of an age, which I think we're actually starting to move out of it, but where funnels and ads seem to be what business was. Yeah. Like, and, and for me, the, what I, when I read, when I read your stuff and from, you know, reading a few of your blogs and, and kind of doing over, over the years and speaking to Jamie about you as well, is that, you know, you, you kind of think of it similar to us where it's like, well, no, no, like business is, there's so much more to business. Yeah. And business is kind of this integrated system where you've got these different moving parts and, and really it's about getting those moving parts to actually kind of speak to each other. And, and it's a, it's a bit of a journey to build something that can almost govern itself, right? Like it's autonomous in its nature, but it's, it's still very agile. And it's sure. measurable. Um, it's process orientated. It's not just, you know, throw, throw caution to the wind and say business is, as Kyle mentioned, marketing and advertising. Um, it's actually understanding the principles of business to make sure that you can still be here in like, you know, X amount of years. And, you know, you have been in business for how, how long have you, how long have you been in business? It'll be 14 years this July. Cool. And so I it's came, like, I came almost straight out of business school, finishing my MBA and then doing this with Eric. So that, that, yeah. that longevity in business is probably the conversation that I find mo the most valuable. Um, because you would know yourself, man, the, the, the short termism with business owners in the fitness industry is rampant. It, it, it is everywhere. Um, and no one can actually see, well, what does 10 years, what does 15 years into the future of business look like? And how yep. do I even have the skill set to maintain that? Totally agree. And it's, uh, I'd be lying though, if I said I had a 15 year vision when we started, I mean, I, I think I live in, in three, three, six and 12 month increments. And then I have, I have my stretch goals fall more into like the three to five year category. And beyond that, we just keep adjusting and 
shifting as we go. But I agree with everything you guys. You mentioned there, like when you first started, you didn't have the 15 year vision. So can you run us through a little bit about what, or a little bit of that start and where you came from, what has built you to where, where you are now? Sure. Well, part of the reason I didn't have a 15 year vision is because if I were at, at the moment that we started, I was 25. And if I tried to imagine what the last 15 years had looked like, I'm going back to 10 year old little leaguer. And uh, I sure as hell wouldn't have been able to see that forward that far forward at the time. So I hadn't programmed myself to think that big yet. Uh, 25 is just mature enough to have somebody maybe hand you the keys to a business but not so mature that I could have any sort of vision that would say, this is what the next decade plus is going to look like for this place. I'd also say that it, we were, when I use the term we, I, I mean myself and Eric Cressy and our business partner, Tony Gentilcore, who started this with us. Um, we were young enough and naive enough to not realize we could fail. So when we started, we just thought, of course, this is going to work out. I mean, look at how good these coaches are. How could we not be exceptional at this? And uh, I think that that's a blissful ignorance, I guess you could call it, that, that paid off for us. And it didn't mean that we were reckless. We were making good, good decisions, I believe. You know, we weren't spending any more than we were collecting and we weren't compromising ourselves or, or as you mentioned, you know, pouring everything into the click funnel bucket, but mostly because that stuff didn't exist. So starting a business in 2007 meant that I didn't, ever have anyone say what's your social media strategy look like because at the time twitter was less than a year old uh, mm -hmm. facebook had yet to introduce the feed or business pages instagram had, hadn't even been conceptualized all these things that we look at as as mandates for successfully doing business today didn't exist and so and there are probably some gym owners who are mortified by the concept of trying to build anything without access to all of those somewhat free marketing resources but the reality is their lack of existence is why we thrive because we had no distractions. All we did was build out good systems and, and build out relationships and establish kind of our core clientele in a way that when, when the social media stuff did become a thing and start to gain some momentum and snowball a little bit, we were really well positioned to capitalize on it without compromising the really important stuff, like laying the groundwork of what does our business model look like? What does our training model look like? What's our, what's our programming philosophy? How do we onboard our coaches and our interns? All that stuff was done so we could really throw ourselves into building out a recognizable brand. And so I think if I were to start again, like if we're starting right here, right now from zero, I wouldn't be able to get my brand on your radar the way that we did you guys would not be aware of us or have aligned us as the option or the solution with a very specific baseball community. We'd be, I think we could effectively be one of many good options, but I don't think we could position ourselves as having a, a recognizable or massive chunk of market share, if that makes sense. I got a quick question on this. So, so one thing that you mentioned to me or not mentioned to us was, I heard 2007 and uh, this is kind of not planned, but it, it is something that I'm quite interested in. Um, you guys would have started, so you guys started in 2007? Yep, summer of 2007. So obviously going through 2008, which was the financial crisis, um, 
what kind of role do you think and this is because like, like we we kind of there's a part of it we teach a course and there's a part of it where i try to give a very very basic economics lesson right where it just un, like it's it's very very basic but for that reason because i feel like that and that's it's this is like a more of just something to have in the back of your mind but I, i'm more interested in how did you guys deal with that you know that kind of going through that period through 2008 and do you think that, um, I mean, there's a saying of starting a business during a financial crisis could be one of the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it can be a really great move, right? So did that play on your mind at that time? Or do you think that that played a, a role in, in obviously allowing you guys to really propel yourselves as a, a quite a recognized brand? Good question. Um, so I don't think you guys are going to maybe believe my answer, but I'm being dead serious when I tell you that I didn't realize it was happening. And I didn't realize probably a good thing. It had yeah, and I didn't realize it had been categorized as what are we calling it, the Great Recession or something along those lines here in the States until four or five years later. And I don't know that that was because I was so out of touch with the world and I didn't understand what's going on in the news and I was just a complete idiot. No, I was in that that stage of of the entrepreneur's journey where we were heads down. You know, we were working six to seven days a week. We were waking up and thinking about our job. We were doing our job, and then we were falling asleep thinking about what we were going to do for our job the next day. And so, that was the first part that that kind of immersive six, twelve, eighteen months where you get wheels in motion, and all of a sudden you you open your eyes a year and a half later, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> I blinked and here we are. Um, so that's part of it. The other thing, there's a three-part answer. The The second part is that I think that when we go we go into like a, a recession or an economic crisis like that, we don't always fully come to terms with it in the moment. So yeah, it was happening. Lehman Brothers was crashing and the sky was falling around us. But you always in the moment think, well, it's just a blip. Like we're gonna, this is gonna correct. Think of how good things were six months ago. This is this is just gonna correct. I mean, we've been saying that for the last what thirteen months now, mm-hmm. and it it kind of has in certain ways, depending on where you have your money. Um, but we we never stopped and said like this is gonna impact the next twenty four to thirty six months. We just kind of always felt like this is an adjustment. The market is adjusting. The real estate bubble's popping. No big deal. We're not in real estate, so. We just didn't talk about it and it wasn't a thing. The third part of this answer is probably the most important one if you run a performance training facility. And that is that we were not impacted by the recession in the same way that we won't be dramatically impacted by the next one. And that is that we were taking care of people's kids and people don't understand how to say no to their kids. Mm -hmm. So if I said to you guys, or if you guys said to me, hey Pete, you got two kids. I got little Colin and Owen, a couple of little kids. Hey guys, sorry for the interruption, it's Kyle. I just wanted to jump on here and remind you guys that every single month, the podcast is going to be running a competition on behalf of Elite Vitality Business School, where we are offering you a spot into our newest course, the Diploma of Fitness Business. Now, all you have to do is take a photo of the episode that you're listening to, give myself a tag, give Reese Livingston a tag, and give Pivotal Conversations a tag, and tell us exactly what you're loving about the episode that you're listening to or your biggest learning. 
and that'll go into our inbox and then every single month we're going to be drawing a winner and giving away a spot into the next intake of the course. Back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Colin's about to start Little League and soccer in the next two weeks. If you said you got to cut some things out, I'd say, all right, well, I'll cut my Equinox membership. I'll cut my spending on clothes or things that I don't need because Colin's going to Little League. There's no way that we're going to be the family that doesn't give that to Colin because his friends are going and and Katie and I are going to find a way to spend less on ourselves so that we can spend the same amount we always did on our kids. And we we unknowingly picked that community and just rode that wave. And so there was never a moment where these parents were saying, no, little Johnny over here can't have that. Partially because they're all afraid of keeping up with the Joneses. It's like, well, if, if Johnny's teammates doing this, I got to do it. I got to find a way to make this work. And so if you run a, a performance training fitness business that takes care of the youth athlete population, the ones who are still spending their parents' money, to an extent, you're recession-proof. So we, we did double-digit growth year over year for like seven consecutive years there, like straight through the recession. I mean, we were on the, the steep part of the hockey stick there when, when the economy was at its worst. So we were, I, I mean, for the second time in this conversation, I'll say we were blissfully unaware. We were just running a business. So uh, I won't tell you I had a strategy where I was like, all right, Eric, let's sit down and talk about this. This is how we're going to beat the recession. <laughs> no, we were just like, what are we doing tomorrow? Did you, when you were like in the infancy of business, um, actually make a conscious decision within your branding to make it like almost recession proof and be like, well, we're going to coach, we're going to coach young children and not go more into the adolescent age. Uh, no, not, I don't want to give us that much credit per se. And we don't coach young children. We won't go below 12, 13. Okay. Um, but still that, that 12 to 18 year old range, that's plenty of kids spending plenty of their parents' money. Um, we, we opened doors with the mindset, look, I was coming right out of grad school and I had just finished an MBA and I went to a, a recognized kind of entrepreneurial study school and it had been hammered into our head. And I say our, cause I met Eric Cressy at undergrad business school before he realized he wanted to get into exercise science. But we had been told for so long that a certain percentage of businesses fail in their first one to five years. And so we, we definitely, as much as we were too naive to realize we could fail, we were smart enough to know we couldn't be super picky. Mm -hmm. And so we basically said, there is no such thing as a client avatar on day one. That my client avatar was, uh, a, do you have a, a pulse and do you have money in your pocket? Awesome, yeah. come on in, let's do this. We're gonna take care of you. And I think part of it is because so many people are so worried about finding a, a niche or a niche, depending on how you pronounce it, before they have found an audience. And yeah. I, I just don't understand that dynamic because the market tells you what you're good at. And then if you're smart enough to listen, then you double down on that. So we did very early on start to see some momentum in the direction of the overhead throwing athlete. Maybe it could have been volleyball players. It could have been tennis athletes. Baseball was very logical and there was a, a significantly bigger community for us to draw from there. And so at some point in year one, yeah, we said, let's be baseball. Let's do this. We're getting a lot of uh, opportunity in this space, but it was not, it wasn't during the business plan phase. That's for sure. 
it's really interesting. Like, you know, we, I mean, it, it always interests me looking back on history like that. Like, I mean, that's why I, I it popped into my head. Cause I think we didn't like Australia is this weird place, man, where just nothing fucking happens here. Like, do you know what I mean? Like the recession didn't even touch us, man. Like barely. Um, and it was kind of like, and I was young, you know, I was, I was pretty young. So like, it just interests me. I've, I'm, I'm, in, I'm an investor. Like I, I like to invest my money and, and I, I like reading a lot of that stuff, but I was kind of interested because I feel like a lot of the time the fitness industry is oblivious, right? Like we, that's kind of how we are in, in our nature, but it was, I was interested to just kind of get an idea of, you know, starting a business during that time, not, and even not so whether it affected you, but, you know, actually coming out of the recession, right? Like they're usually the best times to, to kind of really, start to grow your business so i was just interested to see if it played a role and, and if you guys were aware of it but as as you said you when you're in that kind of startup phase you just kind of like bring, you know run <laughs> running through walls left right and center well i think there are parallels right now as well with the whole COVID dynamic i think it's illustrated to me very clearly how layered our industry is there's there isn't uniformity from top to bottom as mm. far as our obstacles go because COVID's been a wonderful example. So a year ago today, I'm fully clothed, closed. A year ago, I am a kindergarten teacher. I'm, I'm in my house, like battling with my, my daycare kid and my kindergartner trying to teach a curriculum that, that just was not designed for parents to run, stressing about whether we're going to be able to make rent for April 1. Well, today is April 1, actually, as we record. So, uh, I mean, this was not a good time a year ago today. And like the rest of the world, we were trying to pivot into online training, just saying, hey, you know, don't leave us clients. We're, we're good to do this. Let's do this on the Internet now. And all around me, I was seeing fellow fitness business owners have some success, some degree of success. I don't want to necessarily say thriving with the exception of a small handful, but they were holding on to a pretty considerable chunk of their clients and their clients were saying, hey, we get it. We're here with you. Let's do some bodyweight Zoom workouts. And we were running what we thought was a very strong, healthy business. We were on, you know, we were pacing toward best year ever type numbers. And nobody wanted to do online training. Like when, when it's one thing to say to the soccer mom, hey, you know, grab an exercise mat yeah. and maybe, maybe a, a resistance band and we're going to do something for the next 60 minutes. But when you say that to a um, aspiring elite athlete and you're like, just head to the basement, make sure you got a Wi-Fi connection. This is going to be a blast. They're like, yeah, well, if you don't have trap bars or we can't do our arm care, things like that, we're out. Call us when you're ready to do this again in person. We're in, we'll be in then. But until that point, uh, no thanks on the body weight programming. And so we're in this this whirlwind panic mode of like, how is all these people around us converting all of their clients into remote and bragging about how they've got 94% retention and nobody has opted out or paused their memberships. And, and I'm seeing four out of five guys be like, absolutely not. You guys are great, but no, I'm not giving you money for that. And it really, it stung. It sucked. It was, it was rough. And we're thinking, God, are they, are they going to come back? Like, what are, how are we going to reinvent this? Are we coming back at 50%, 60%? And I'm not talking occupancy. I'm talking like, just is that percentage of our community going to entertain the idea of coming back? Mm. We were allowed to open doors <clears throat> on July 6th. And I can only name two people from our entire our active client roster who said, I'm not going to come back right away. I'm not comfortable with this. And we went from zero to 100 overnight. 
And so while all of my fellow gym owners who I was jealously looking at running these healthy online businesses were barely getting their people to come back in because they were all terrified, we were at 100% capacity. I mean, we, we, have, we have set a record for foot traffic for a 14-year-old business every single month, July, August, September, October, November, December, since to this day. And so that's where the layering comes in. Yeah, we got kicked in the teeth when it went to remote training time and everybody else was doing a nice job with it, but we outperformed the industry as a whole when it came time to go back to being brick and mortar. And it's because this performance athlete, they just, they act like COVID doesn't exist. They don't, I mean, I spend more time telling kids to put their mask back on and stop handing out hugs and stuff than, than like coaching up athletes, it seems. But it's just, it's a perfect example of how much of a disparity there is between the kind of the genres within, within the industry we take care of. And another example of how we went into chaos and drama and everybody got on the internet or the gurus and the influencers said, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it. And I realized nobody knows anything about anything because I had, I was putting stuff up on the internet a year ago today, talking about how to, how to get clients online. And, and I was, I was a failure at it. <laughs> and so it, it, it was just this reality check that these, these economic crises, these pandemics, all of these things, I, I, none of us know what we're doing. <laughs> we're making it up and we're adjusting as we go if we want to survive. But I, this is my really long way of saying, no, I didn't have the foresight to say, go get baseball on day one, just like I didn't have the foresight to say, we're not going to do well with online training. We, we struggled and barely kept heads above water for almost 100 days but we came out of it on the other side, ready to crush it. So uh, I got to, I got to, so, I mean, one of the questions that we wanted to ask you was, and it kind of ties in uh, like talking about COVID was what, what do you see in the future? Not, not, so there's kind of, it's like a two part question. What do you see in the future for the industry? Like in terms of what COVID's going to do um, and, and, you know, we, like the acceleration of technology and um, how quickly that's moving and then the second part to that is, you know, what do you think the future holds for facilities? Um, and, and what kind of, what are some of the dynamic shifts that you're seeing already? Because I mean, you said you you seen um, record foot traffic and that's really interesting to me because what I've seen over here is that a lot of the real, uh, I guess, niche orientated gyms, the smaller facilities, not like they're not the big box, but they're that, that kind of real, you're either building a skill or it's community orientated, like they're doing really well. Um, so like, yeah, what, what do you see for the future of the fitness industry uh, and, and then more so for facilities, you know, over the next five to 10 years? I if think any that, changes, right? If, if there is any. Yeah, I mean, it seems there are changes every six months independent of pandemics. So, um, well, I did, I think I just spent 10 minutes doing a really good job illustrating that I'm not good at seeing the future. But my attempt at predicting the future here is that I think the business owners that are still standing are in a position to really do well. Um, I think that this was kind of a thinning of the herd a little bit. Our, our fitness scene here in the States was extraordinarily oversaturated when this started. I mean, when I started my business in 2007, I could count on one hand the number of direct competitors that I had to concern myself with inside of, say, a 10-mile radius. And... At this point in time, that's, it might take three sets of hands for me to tell you 
who all of the performance training gyms were that we were competing with. In some cases, we we're training our competition. It might be former interns who have gone off to do good things, might be former employees. Um, and in other cases, it's just new entries to the industry. But I've seen a pretty nice chunk of that fall off, understandably, because it, there are a lot of businesses, it's not that they got like absolutely annihilated and just put into debt. It's that they were unfortunately up for a lease renewal during a year where there is extreme uncertainty mm. and they ran their numbers and they were like, you know what? I don't think I want to take the risk. Let's bow out. So I think there's this misconception that a hundred percent of the gyms that closed did so in a, like they went out in a blaze of glory and they, you know, they ran up all kinds of debt and screwed all kinds of people. And I think there are a ton of them who are like, I just don't really want to play the break even game here indefinitely and not know what's coming at me. So I'm going to choose not to renew this lease. And, and I think that's kind of a mis, misunderstood number when you hear 40% of all gyms are going to close or whatever number it is that people are throwing out there. Uh, a pretty considerable chunk of them are people who made calculated decisions to walk away from something that might have made it, but might not have. And the ones that are still here doing it, well, they're still chasing pretty much the same number of people in the population. So there's been this kind of influx of opportunity. And so... I've probably got eight or 10 clients who are here six days a week, spending a lot of money with us who I didn't know a year ago today. And, and they're people whose gyms closed and they discovered us and realized that, that COVID to an extent was a good thing in the sense that it introduced them to a style of training in a community that they didn't even know existed. And here we are benefiting from it. So I think the short answer is if you've, if you've still got a functional business and you've, and you've maintained healthy habits and you've got a little bit of cash reserve, you're in a good position to do very well in the brick and mortar space here in the States. Um, I also agree that if you have, if you're known for something specific, not just being a generalist with a gym, um, but you're known for your community or, or the specific athlete population you take care of, there's always going to be a place for that uh, because you just can't, you can't effectively individualize for the baseball player via Zoom. You can't get your hands on somebody's arm and, and do arm care for a pitcher who's dealing with, with injuries that we completely understand. So there has been no shortage of potential clients for us in the last six months, and it doesn't seem like it's really slowing down outside of the fact that this is the start of the season. In fact, today is opening day in Major League Baseball. And so um, yes, we're seeing a foot traffic downturn in relation to what we've done for the last six months. But when you look at it historically, year over year, April will be, we will coach more April training sessions than we ever have. And, and it's because college kids haven't been allowed to go back to school and high school seasons got pushed a little bit later than expected. And it's just, I don't know. I think, I think coming out of this year, I'll tell you this, when, when we start really looking at what our 2022 objectives are and the performance metrics that we're going to chase, we are probably going to be uh, measuring ourselves against our 2019 numbers because everything here, 2020 was a joke, you know, who knows what that was. And 2021 has been kind of like fool's gold. Um, we're capitalizing like crazy right now, but never again in my lifetime do I expect to see 50 to 70% of our college athletes be told they can't come back to campus and have them being sitting in their parents' house being like, I need to get away from my parents. I'm going to the gym. I mean, that, that has been this like this cash cow for us 
that isn't real moving forward. So if I could give one piece of advice to small business owners who are, who are successfully running right now, and they're like, everybody's talking about this pandemic, but look at how smart I am. Like, look at how well we are doing. Look at how busy my gym is. It would be check yourself a little bit because what's going on right now isn't real life. This is, these are not the numbers that we can hold ourselves accountable to. Just like when I, when I look back at the record books in a couple of years and I'm saying like, are we on, on track to have like company type record years? I'm probably going to throw out the foot number, foot traffic and revenue numbers for 2021 so that I'm not too hard on myself. These, this will be the stretch goal for a long time to come because it's just, it's not real life numbers. I mean, mm. I just closed up our March books and and we were almost 40% of the ahead of the best March we've ever had. And we had to shut down because of COVID for 72 hours. A staff member got it and we had to get, you know, be really aggressive with cleaning the gym and shutting it down. So for 10% of the month we closed and then we did a almost 40% revenue bump. I mean, this isn't normal. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a number I can uh, attach myself to in the coming years, but I'd be stupid not to capitalize right now. Yeah. I have a follow-up question to that actually. <clears throat> sure. As a, almost a, as a question in future proofing, you said that the, the remote training, the online platform side of things didn't really go too well for you. Have you put much thought, because I think you're in a, you're in a very unique situation with the skill set you have from the MBA background to actually look at this objectively and go, well, what can I do as a business to potentially future proof my business? If that was to happen again at a smaller or larger scale. I'd almost, it, with more foresight, if I knew six months down the road, a pandemic were coming, I had that type of foresight, I would pandemic proof my business by evaluating what does the, what is the beginner level home gym look like? If I could say 100% of my clients had a, a 12, 24 and 32 kg kettlebell in their house and I could convince every one of my clients to hold on to XYZ equipment, whatever it is, we could definitely have absolutely smashed it. We're actually very healthy in the online training realm when people have access to gyms. Yeah. And so I've got a lot of active clients who are happily paying a premium for individualized program design remotely, but it's mm -hmm. that can be executed with access to free weights. Yeah. So I... I guess my answer, which isn't a real satisfactory one, I'd imagine, Reese, is that I'd rather bet that something this extreme doesn't happen again than pour a lot of time and resources into figuring out how to completely reinvent a business so that I do well for 90 to 100 days. Yeah, you don't fix you know what I mean? that hasn't occurred yet, right? Yeah. And, Apart from well, cashing the bank. It's like, you know, cashing it, the bank is probably the big one. It's like, just don't fucking, like, don't, you know, don't swim naked, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It, it's, I like the exercise, Reese. Like, I, I, I do think we should be doing uh, what I've heard the term use pre-mortems for our business. We should be asking ourselves, if this dies six months from now, why is it going to die? Yeah. And, and that, that now has become part of the pre-mortem lexicon. Like, now, now let's do the pandemic version. <laughs> What's this look like if nobody can leave their home? And so I think it's an exercise we'll do, but I don't know that I'll take it that seriously. And hey, maybe I'm the guy who, you know, months or years from now, you guys are like, that's the idiot who claimed that he was, he didn't need to think about this thing as we do, <laughs> I don't know, like SARS V2 or something. But it, it, look, when I had a, um, 
my first son Colin was born. He was born eight weeks premature. So his, I remember his due date was May 3rd and he was born on March 7th and I didn't have a kid yet. So this was, the world was falling on me. Like this was terrifying. He lived in a newborn intensive care unit for 42 days. Mm. And I remember on day one, the nurse, NICU nurses are like, they're angels on earth. She walked in and she said, look, this is just going to be a blip on the radar. You're going to look back on this and you're not going to believe that it, it wasn't a thing. Just go to bed at night, wake up the next morning, start your day. We got your kid. We're taking good care of him. Come see him. This is going to be fine. He's going to be healthy. And 42 days felt like 42 years while I was in it. But when I look back on that now, and I think of what I was doing 42 days ago today, it is, it's all a blink. And so as inconvenient as that 96 days were that I wasn't allowed to legally open the doors of my business, it was a blink and a 14 year old business should be, should be insulated from a 96 day shutdown. And thankfully we were. Um, so that's kind of how I look at this. Like, am I gonna reinvent my business because a once in a lifetime occurrence might happen a second time in my lifetime? Probably not. I mean, to be honest, I'm not gonna overhaul something that's really, really working very well and was pre-pandemic so that I can avoid three rough months sometime in the next one to 20 years before I retire. So I, I don't it's know, maybe it's, liking, it's, right? yeah, it's just a, a short-sighted move for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me yeah the timing of this was interesting. Eric and I hadn't written ourselves paychecks for February and we could kind of see something weird coming down the pipe. And we were still very, very busy leading up till around March 17th. So we sat on a basically a February 1 through March 17 cash flow, which floated us all the way until government assistance loans, these payroll protection plan loans that came out here in the States. We were, we were still spending money we had collected, so we didn't finance anything to keep ourselves afloat. We, as owners, chose not to write ourselves paychecks for a little while. That's a so, so okay. Like one of the one of my big beliefs in business is that you have to be really great at acquiring wealth both in and out out of your business as a business owner. And and that kind of is one of the things for me that just jumps out at me then because it's like, yeah, like you said, we didn't write ourselves a check, but it's like you have to be in the, like to somebody who potentially is not building wealth and potentially getting their money to work for them outside of their business it kind of that that's something that's really really scary but like you know again i really believe in creating a situation where you have uncompromised decisions what's the best thing for the business right now and i'm in a position as a business owner to make this happen like is that something that do you share that belief and is that something that you know i mean is that kind of a little bit about what has allowed you guys to maybe make that decision yeah this was a a reflection of kind of the concept of compounding interest, really. I mean, we had accumulated alternative revenue streams over the years. We, when we say we weren't writing ourselves a check, we didn't go to zero income. It meant that we went to zero income from this specific operation. But for a period there, my business consulting for small gym owners here in the States actually went up pretty quickly as they were looking for guidance on you know, whether or not to furlough staff, how they were going to handle negotiating uh, rent abatements with landlords, things like that. So I was still driving revenue into my own personal consulting realm to just take the sting out of not writing checks from the business. But we, 
I think if you if you leave yourself vulnerable to just a, a single check a month or a biweekly check from your your operation and you're not thinking bigger picture about how you can monetize your skill set uh, over time, then you're really leaving yourself vulnerable. But I, look, I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 this year. And so when this happened, I had two decades of being an adult under my belt and thinking about like that rainy day fund concept. And in that sense, I, you know, Reese, I was thinking pandemic, you know, we were always, my wife and I are always sitting on, on roughly six months of liquid reserves at any moment in time so that nothing's going to, you know, take our home away from us or, or, you know, put us in the poorhouse. So uh, I think that we were the beneficiaries of being mature adults coming into this. This would have been a lot harder if I was a 27 year old gym owner who had started something 12 to 24 months ago. And, and the reality is you can't, it, it's so easy for me to say to a fellow gym owner, you know, have three months of cash on hand, be ready to, you know, pay the team in full for that period and make rent. But I think it's nonsense to say, cause I did it, you know, we, we weren't swimming in cash early on when we started. So the timing of this pandemic in my career path has been such that it didn't sting that much, but I fully understand why it has been so rough for so many fitness businesses, because I know that we are far more the exception than the rule being a, a 13 going on 14 year old operation when this happens, than then, you know, the average gym owner, because there just aren't a lot of 13 year old private sector spaces out there. So um, I was just fortunate with timing, honestly, Kyle, it's, mm -hmm. And, you know, we made some good decisions and we, we layered our earning potential for sure. But that wasn't stuff that was just opportunity that we were swimming in early on. It was like year five, six, seven that we started to realize we've created a lot of unique expertise. How can we leverage that outside of the confines of our gym? Mm -hmm. And and it seems to have worked well enough to insulate us from a, what feels a little bit like a once in a lifetime setback. Let's hope. Um, yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's been wild, man, and it's still going. Yeah, like it's it's not kind of it's not finished yet, but hopefully it is a once in a lifetime experience. Um, so we talked about before doing an MBA and and um, you know, having that side, and I think you know, like I again, business over the last ten years, or at least what has been perceived as business has been very different to what I believe the actual business is. And I think it's been taught wrongly. I think it puts people in vulnerable positions. It doesn't teach them. You mentioned a word before sustainability and, and Reese mentioned you being in business for 14 years. And I think the, the true business principles, the, the kind of the subjects that you learn and that you cover and understanding how to wrap these together into a business is what creates that sustainability. And I have this kind of firm belief that the mindset of like the Facebook ads and the funnels creates that short termism that we were talking about initially. And I want to kind of come back and go, you know, are there like, you know, maybe two or three principles that you keep coming back to over and over again, like these like repeat lessons in a sense that kind of keep coming back to you that you fall back to that, you know, you believe are, are pretty pretty pivotal uh, in, in your ability to create a sustainable and successful business. Yeah, if I had to give you two, I'd say first and foremost, if you take care of your people, aka your employees, 
they will take care of your clients for you. So spend more time figuring out how you can be the best employer of fitness professionals than you do in generating leads. And you won't have to think about the latter. And, and that's one I've had to learn repeatedly over the last four or five years. And I was an immature, poor leader for a pretty extended period in the early stages of my business. Um, the second one would be that kind of pivoting away from taking care of people is that retention outweighs lead gen a hundred times out of a hundred to me. I mean, it's just, I know it's easy to say it's cheaper to retain a client than it is to onboard a new one, but you probably have enough clients in your operation right now. If you're not absolutely brand new to run something really sustainable without click funnels or Facebook ads or anything like that, if you just get better at the relationship piece. And so the, the way I look at these, these kind of current traditional advertising methods, these get rich quick lead collection schemes is they're, they're great for my business maybe, but not a younger business. Cause they, they provide this short-term security blanket where you created leads, but if your systems suck, you don't retain them. Or if your your staff isn't established, or you have a ton of turnover, you don't retain them. For me, if I if I were you know to run a Facebook ad and generate a bunch of leads, if it was a properly designed ad and that pulled in the right type of athlete, I think I'm considerably better positioned to hold on to that business than a young one because we've got all our systems in place. And I kind of look at it as being analogous to like when someone says to me, "What do you think of CrossFit?" They're like, oh, do you hate CrossFit? Do you think that's stupid? And I say, you know, CrossFit is would be absolutely perfect if I took my whole staff and I was like, hey, everybody, we're doing staff lift at the local box today. We're going to go do the whatever they call it, the workout of the day. And we're going to, you know, we're going to talk shit. We're going to get competitive. We're going to bust balls. It's going to be a kick-ass training session. And we all know how to do this really well. We're, we're all like, we understand how to technically execute all these movements. So it's not dangerous for us. It's just CrossFit at its best, good training environment, good culture, smash some weights, have fun. Um, I kind of think of it that way. You put a beginner, AKA the new gym owner into CrossFit and you're like, let it rip. Well, those are the people whose shoulders we're fixing right now. Like that's how I'm monetizing CrossFit. They're breaking people who aren't ready to do unsupervised aggressive training and we're taking care of it. I think of these, these click funnels and things the same way. It's like you're, you're throwing that untrained athlete into CrossFit and being like, let it rip. And on day one, they leave and they're like, look at how sweaty I am. Like that, that must've been awesome. Like I'm filthy and I'm, I'm tired. I want to, I know I want to pass out and eat. That must've been awesome. That's how these lead generating click funnels are. You throw a bunch of opportunity at these, these new gym owners and they're like, I got 40 leads look at me go. And they retain like three of them. And the rest is just this broken trail of people who talk shit about their operation down the road. Cause they're like, yeah, I went there. It was a disorganized mess. It's, it's the same exact thing. The mature strength and conditioning athlete thrives in, in a CrossFit setting, the mature fitness business owner whose systems are established and, and is ready to really take care of the people that they bring in can absolutely kill it print money with a good Facebook ad campaign, but you kind of need to earn the right to let your business lean heavily on that as its singular strategy. And too many young businesses aren't doing so. They're not walking the walk before they, they go that path. 
And yeah, Facebook's always going to take their money. They're, you know, the person who's designing the landing page with the good pixel on it is definitely going to take the money for the brand new gym owner because they don't give a shit what business you hold on to at the back end. And so it's just a very misleading safety net or security blanket in my mind. Sorry for the rambling answer. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so important, right? I think it's like, I mean, it's a good answer because it's like you amplify something that isn't working. <laughs> the problem just gets bigger. And, and I, I think, you know, once you get over that kind of the dopamine hit of a couple of leads, you kind of get to this place where, you know, your business isn't growing or, you know, you, you, you kind of driving yourself into this extremely stressed state because you don't have, like, as you said, potential systems to, to kind of manage what's coming through and keep the, 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 the foot traffic, the, the, um, you know, you know, customers that you are bringing in. And, um, it's interesting because like, you know, I mean, as you were talking, I'm kind of thinking in my head, I'm like, you know, like this is the stuff that you need to take. We kind of like, I mean, we kind of use a term called strategic assets. And, and like, I kind of think of this as something like brand, you know, um, understanding your kind of different levels of product and, these kind of things that really color your lens as a business owner and allow you to maybe go and create that customer journey and understand at your different touch points in brand, how you are kind of creating that clarity and communicating and creating that experience. Um, and, and more so like I, like we almost look at it, like we call that pillar stability, right? And we call that pillar stability because we like, this is your business's nervous system. Like this is mm -hmm. going to stop you from putting yourself into potentially fatal positions, right? And it's kind of like, you know, we literally go stability, growth, autonomy. Like that's kind of, you're going from stability, then you're, you know, you can achieve growth and then you're going from growth to autonomy, trying to teach your business how to self-govern, jumping back and forth between growth and autonomy. But none of that is possible without this kind of key pillar that is stability, which is that nervous system. And, and it's interesting because it's like, I mean, that's kind of what my mind went back to as you're saying that. It's like a lot of people are just trying to jump straight into growth without having that nervous system there. And it's like, I crack a joke sometimes. It's like, you know, like there's parts of the nervous system where you literally just wouldn't function. But, you know, imagine I went for a run without my, um, you know, my periphery, ner my periphery nervous system, right? And it's like, literally, I would, I would probably just start running into shit and like, I'd probably get hit by a car within like the first 10 seconds. And it's like, I feel like that's a lot of what is happening. It's like people are just trying to jump straight into business growth without kind of having, like, as you said, you know, the, the kind of the, the things that you need to have in place before you can go and tackle something like that. This, well, this whole conversation, oh, this, this whole conversation just leads me, it, it speaks to the point of you know, to, to methods, there are many, to principles, there are few. And this whole conversation of like understanding a principle before you start creating, as Kyle said, creating the method of which you can start to, you know, get bigger reach and create that growth phase of your business. You have to have that stability, that, that understanding of the stability um, principle and, and the actual principle at, at its core, rather than just being like shooting darts at a dartboard, trying to, and hoping something hits. Uh, and that's realistically where, again, I've said it a few times now, but the, the short-termism of a, of a business owner in the infancy, especially in the fitness industry, are waiting for that, that Hail Mary, that oh, marketing will solve my problem. And it, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think at the end of the day, you put a business owner that has, you know, uh, you know, some skin in the game, some 
you know, some time in the industry and you give them that system and give them the opportunity to create a larger reach, a large impact and get more leads. Amazing. They can actually, and the big thing there as well is they actually know what to do with them, right? You know, I'm sure you've seen time and time again, business owners, they go put a marketing campaign out and well, oh, amazing. we got 30 leads, but shit, I don't know how to handle that amount of leads. So it's about, you know, actually having the principle in place to not only have the stability, but have the ability to actually handle the growth as well. I totally agree. And that the principle or that first pillar you guys talk about is so neglected. And for example, I, I published a tweet yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people who like tweets and then puts it on Instagram, as you know, I do, um, hey, I do it too. Man. It's easy. Yeah. It's efficient. It's, and it, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's a great way. It, you know what, man, like I, I will kind of come back to it, but the one thing I found with doing it is it really makes me think about how I can simplify what I'm trying to say. And anyone that knows me knows I'm a rambler. So I, yeah, I love it. And honestly, it's the only thing I put up. So at least I stay on brand. It's not like I just throw <laughs> one in there once in a while. It's like, yeah, you're, if you follow me, you're only getting that one thing. That's it. And then the occasional picture of my kids. But the reason I bring it up, I put up a tweet yesterday that said, there are, there are so many fit pros who are talking about wanting to start a gym. But I, I know so few of them who are talking about just buying one from a gym owner who's like, get me out from under this. Like, just please just buy my equipment and the flooring and, and just let me wash my hands of this. There, there are probably more of those people who are ready to take a check just to get out than there are people who want to start something brand new, but nobody wants to go that route because they all think they need flashy and brand new and that sweet smell of like brand new flooring down. And one of the people who commented on, on it said, well, I find that all those people want to sell have shit locations with crummy equipment. And you know what? None of this is about the location or the equipment. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. If I were to pick up my computer right now and spin it and show you guys what's outside my window, it's the fucking woods. I mean, I am, I am in the middle of nowhere. I'm on the back of a building facing the woods, back of a 200,000 square foot building. There's no such thing as street fund signage for us, but we'll have 100 athletes walk through the door today and they came and they found us. And you know why? It was because of pillar one. It's that foundation. It's not because I had a really cool advertising campaign and I'm chasing the growth phase. It it's because we're good at the basics and we have we've figured out who we are, what we want to be about, and what we want to build around. And the answers to all of those things is not advertising. It has nothing to do with marketing. It's there look, I, I can lament this all I want, but it's wonderful to me that new fitness business owners think that the the chain of events is logo design, get the right Instagram handle, figure out what your hashtag is, and then buy as much Kaiser as you can. Like, I, <laughs> I love that that is their mindset. It's this is this is easy. Like, yeah. It is really easy to compete when people are putting themselves out of business before they can even demonstrate what their expertise is. And so if they want to make that decision, fine, do what you do. I the equipment in my gym, in 2012, I went from 7,600 square feet to 15,100 square feet. Same building, moved down the hall. I obviously spent a ton of money on new flooring because there's no way to fake your way into that. The floors are either covered or they're not. But I took all of the equipment from the old space, moved it down. So we two more than 2x our footprint. And the only new equipment I added to this space was a second prowler, a second sled, and a second set of farmer's carry handles literally nothing else. I just spread it all out. 
I haven't bought anything other than like timing gates in a decade. And we're still considered at the leading edge of the industry. The point is, this isn't about equipment. This is about people. This is about culture. This is about systems. It has nothing to do with my logo, the fancy stuff I put in there, or, or the way that we promoted it. And the sooner struggling gym owners realize that and get back to that foundation and, and have an honest question with themselves, like, did I really figure out that first pillar? Like, did, did we really create a defensible foundation for this business? The sooner they, they have that conversation with themselves, honestly, the better, because they're a lot more likely to be there in a couple of years or be standing on the other side of a pandemic or some nonsense that hits us out of nowhere. Sorry for the rant. <laughs> I, I, I could not, I, I'm ready to jump up through off my seat because I could not agree more when it comes to this stuff. People are, especially business owners in the fitness industry, uh, they're enamored by the, the wrong shit, right? There's like, oh, I need to figure out the color of my logo. I need to figure out my message before I figure out how to actually do my job and actually you know, open the business. Um, and then they leave themselves just spinning spinning the wheels and the same conversation goes for sales right it's never a money problem just like it's never a location problem it's a value problem right it's a branding problem when it comes to location or it's a you know a cultural problem it's yeah i, I could rant on this forever as well <laughs> and, and this is kind of why i was excited to chat to you pete i think we we, we talk a lot of the same language and and uh, just from following you i knew that that was the case and um yeah i, I mean uh, we we couldn't agree more. I think, you know, we literally built our pillars of what we teach and the order and what we teach because stability should come first. And the, you know, we look, we teach brand understanding product, these kind of things, but really when we teach that, all we're trying to do is get the business owner to get introspective and, and kind of go, okay, what do you, like you said, what do you want to stand for? Who are you? What's your belief system around what you do in the industry? And, and then that, you know, once you have that foundation, you can actually start to make strategic decisions and, and, and going forward, growth isn't this thing where you're just kind of running and gunning or playing darts with a blindfold on. It's it's quite strategic in the way you think about it. And, and that's my one wish. You know, you, you talk about the, the process and I've heard you kind of say this and the process is fun. That's the best bit. And, and that's what I love about business, man. I, I love going deep on strategy. I love thinking about what we're going to be doing in 12 months and, and how we're going to get there. And, and I, I truly love business for that reason. But I think... I think the short-termism and the, the, the kind of trying to find a winning template instead of trying to play chess with your competitors and look at the, the landscape and move your way through that takes away that kind of enjoyment and really what business is about at the, at the core level. Yeah, and what we do, uh, you know, us three collectively, isn't going to be sexy this is like no no like because it isn't right it's like we're not selling you a quick fix we're not selling you a, a lot a lot of you know we're not going to make you 30 grand in a day or anything like that but you know we you know we're going to probably teach you something that is going to allow you to think critically critically about your business and and maybe allow you to make some of your own decisions and, and actually enjoy the process and uh, you know what guess what you know once we're done with you you can actually do this yourself yeah, you're not relying on me to run your Facebook ad or to teach you the next funnel or whatever it is. It's like, no, 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 like you'll be able to do this. And I think this is our wish, man. Like this is this is our mission at the moment. It's like, how can we just put the, some of the, the kind of true core principles in front of people and, and take that short-termism away? So, I mean, as I said, I was really excited to chat to you because I knew that you were on the same page. Like I, I read your stuff and I'm like, fuck, this guy's got it. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, it, 
it means less um guruism is, <laughs> guruism is, is the word which 100%. i which i really like it's um yeah it's not a get rich quick scheme but i'm very transparent with my clients about that up front i'm like look we're we're gonna talk about principles we're gonna talk about bringing some sanity back into your world we're gonna talk about finding some work-life balance i'm not going to teach you how to put 40 new bodies in the gym next monday i i honestly i'm just not interested but i know a great facebook guy i know who i'd send you to for that it's just not me. It's not what I do. I pay someone else to do that. Why would you pay me to tell you how to do something I pay someone else to do for me? And mm. so it's, uh, it's not, it's not going to get the like super hyped up immature gym owner fired up, but that's not my client avatar. I want people who are either real late into their first lease or already into their second one. Those are the ones I can really help. I want to work with mature business owners who, mm. who want to own their business, not be owned by it. And it takes it, you, you have to be owned by your business in year one, year two. It's that's the, that's the cost of doing this. Like that's your reality. Sorry. I don't know anyone. I, I, if somebody wrote the book on like how to start something that thrives from nothing and have work-life balance in year one, I'll read that book. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't know that it exists, but I, that's not the stage that I'm helpful at. I don't think. I think we're very, I, I think we're very similar, mate. We um, where we shine and what we do is we work with people that want to understand the process, not just trust it blindly, and like oh, it'll happen, right? And I think that's where you know, actually coming back to everything we've spoken about here is really speaking to speaking to business principles rather than quick fix methods, um, and that's where unfortunately there is a big dis disconnect when it comes to people wanting to learn how to get and build wealth in within their business and externally they they don't really they're not interested in the well what, what do i actually have to do in the step-by-step -step process and actually understand it rather than be like oh cool just go do the thing i really like to think of it as like working on the business owner rather than just the business like that's the game you know like if you can become a great business owner you can rinse and repeat this as much as you want you can you can start to penetrate other industries and you'd like you said, leverage your skill set in many different ways. And that's the way I always like to think of it is like, whenever I'm working with someone, even with myself, I go, how, how can I create a better business owner and not just a better business? Yeah. It's, I don't know about you guys. I won't, I won't speak for you, but for me, since we talk about things that are kind of foundational to us and they feel like common sense, I run into imposter syndrome all the time where I'm saying to myself, like, this isn't flashy enough. Do people really care what I think about these basics? And uh, it turns out that what we think is common sense isn't all that common. Uh, I'm brought back to frequently, but there is nothing edgy or mind-blowingly new about what I'm preaching to people. Uh, but somebody's got to be talking about the basics. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. All right, man. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Um, I want to say a big thanks for your time. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think, as I said, I've been looking forward to it and, and well, you know, Reese as, as well. So um, we want to say a big thanks for your time, man, and we really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the podcast. We're definitely going to have to have you on again. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me and, and keep doing what you're doing because there aren't enough people talking about this stuff. For sure. What we'll do just to wrap up is where can people find you that don't follow you? So your Instagram and you're on Twitter. Sure. So my my last name is is French Canadian, pronounced Dupuis. 
but can be hard for people to it it's not spelled phonetically we'll say that so it'll <laughs> probably be easy to find in the show notes for you guys but my website's petedepuy.com and uh my i'm on twitter and instagram but you're gonna find the same thing in both places so if you're just like want to pick one <laughs> pick one uh, <laughs> I make them prettier on Instagram and that's uh, my username's Pete underscore Dupuy. Awesome, man. Well, again, thanks for coming on and uh, we hope everyone who's listening enjoyed the episode. Thank you guys. Hope to talk again soon. Tell Jamie I said, Hey. Yeah, I will. Definitely. Cheers. I just want to say a big thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the show. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Uh, feel free to share us, share the episode with your friends and family, and feel free to leave us a review as well. Uh, you know, we all the support that we get for the for the show, and especially now that we've revamped it, uh, we're trying to bring something that's got a little bit more value. It's definitely appreciated. And if you have a question uh, for strategy sessions next week, you want us to take a bit of a deep dive and help you work through some of the roadblocks in your business, or you just want some help creating some winning strategy, you can shoot me an email at kyle at elitevitalitycoaching.com. But I'll leave it there. Until next week, stay safe, stay stay healthy, uh, and I'll see you on the other side.